Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to the end of the week. I hope you all have a nice, easy day as we head into the weekend. Raja, how are you doing this morning, man? Doing great, man. Uh, beautiful morning. It's kind of weird. There's no basketball. Well, I guess the Olympics is kind of uh, is here now. Um, so that's kind of where I'll turn to. But yeah, we've started the summer. Uh, feels like it's going to be a long summer with the conversation that's already been happening. But um, yeah, doing, doing well. How are you, man? Yeah, I feel like we're lucky because uh you know but you know we took an off season at in march last year literally for right. four months we just didn't watch any basketball mm-hmm. and so as a result of that everything is compressed like there was a 72 71 day off season for the lakers last year and then i'm pretty sure this year it's like 72 days again because it got pushed the season got pushed back and then they're uh, trying to start right at their normal time in october so i think we just have about two and a half months that we're going to be waiting um uh, in this particular off season and like you said it's going to be one thing after the other it's going to be free agency it's going to be the draft it's going to be summer league it's going to be trades it's going to be training camp and then next thing you know we'll be covering preseason games so it's like this is gonna be moving pretty quick I mean you and I have discussed about what we wanted to do during the offseason you know just for content and the truth is is we don't have to come up with too much uh, no, uh in no. terms of like additional stuff because uh, we're gonna have plenty to talk about uh, but I'm doing good and I'm excited to talk we're gonna talk about the uh we'll talk a little bit about the basketball in game six uh, between the Bucks and Suns, and then we'll talk about Giannis and, and what this accomplishment means for him uh, and where where he stands at this point in his career. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the crazy Lakers rumors that were going around, particularly centering around them potentially wanting Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul. And then the one this morning uh, about Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan potentially wanting to to meet up with the Lakers. So uh, a couple Lakers topics that we'll hit afterwards. But Let's start with the Bucks. So, you know, uh, what a, a, an interesting kind of inevitable end to the series. Yeah, uh, the the Bucks continued to just physically maul them, um, and even even Aiton, who you and I talked about as like their one kind of physical presence that they had that could go toe to toe with the Bucks, even he started to kind of show his physical. Uh, you know, he just wilted a little bit physically as that yeah. series went along. He was throwing up some kind of janky, kind of soft little floaters and hooks around the basket. And overall, they just continued to pound them on the offensive glass and just have more possessions. And you just can't win that way. The Phoenix might have been the best half-court team in that series, and they lost four straight games. Um, and that's what happens when you get physically mauled. But, you know, did you kind of feel like that was inevitable, or did you think Phoenix was going to pull that out there for a minute? Yeah, for a second, because, I mean, Bud kind of switched his game plan. He, I thought he played a lot more Lopez in the first half of that one. If you remember, Phoenix was up seven at halftime. Um, Chris Paul kind of got going as well. Um, but the Bucks only had 40 points, which I don't think showed well. They obviously were going to score more than that. But, yeah, you're right. They got physically mauled. Um, Aiden, I feel like, was a little soft down low as the series went on. P.J. Tucker, those guys were really physical with him. Uh, he wasn't able to get to his, like, little jump hooks as comfortably as he was in the beginning of the series. And, to me, like a lot of people use like Chris Paul choking as like the main story of this. To me, this is Giannis elevating himself into like this higher echelon. Drew Holiday having a masterclass defensive performance. Like to me, that's the story. Chris Paul obviously struggled in a bunch of these games, but Giannis was incredible as a team defender, switching, taking away lobs. Like people are talking about him maybe in the top 25 now or you know like he's put himself there because of this performance 50 points in a finals game to me that was the story 
just being relentless attacking the rim um and just just an insane pressure on the rim he was even hitting three step like i don't know what you do when he does that 17 of 19 from the free throw line like what do you do when a guy of that stature is starting to pour it on not really sure chris paul devenberger could did anything they're they're not there as that type of level player so i thought that was the story do do you see that as well Giannis and drew kind of taking the story away from the suns in a sense yeah first for starters it was it was the best game i've ever seen Giannis play um counting Mm. the regular season he uh he he reached a level that i've never seen him reach before in terms of confidence everywhere he was taking shots uh the timeliness of when he decided to be aggressive and when he didn't kind of reminded me a little bit of lebron in 2012 where he kind of figured out this semi-transition thing so yeah uh lebron started to really kill the celtics in this like where the team is back in on defense but they're not quite set Mm-hmm. And and he found gaps in their defense in that semi transition where he would he would bring the ball up the floor he'd be the last one up the floor but he he would have pushed the pace enough to where the Celtics wouldn't quite be set in their help side defense and he would just do a one dribble rip to the right and Paul Pierce wouldn't be able to stop him at the point of attack or whoever it was that was guarding him and he'd be at the rim all of a sudden and and uh, uh, if you remember in Game Seven against the Celtics he had a, a dunk and an and one and a bunch of stuff in the fourth quarter and plays like that well Giannis kind of figured that out you know when they would get into the half court they did a good job of walling him up and forcing him to take tougher shots but he 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 uncovered opportunities in that semi-transition where he would just they just quite wouldn't quite be in set up in their help defense and he would Mm -hmm. just go to the right and he'd get uh Aiton on his left shoulder and just either draw a foul or or get that little scoop layup and 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 it became it became it started to look easy for him um overall the game reminded me of a lot of closeout games you know uh, I, uh, the team that has their back against the wall is always going to play with a level of urgency that the other team doesn't have, especially in a game six and a game four, game five closeout type of deal. Sometimes there's no hope and, and that will overcome whatever sort of effort gap there is. But like the, the Suns had a chance to potentially bring that thing back home. Uh, it reminded me of like game five uh, uh, Cavs warriors in 2017 they went into Golden State and they had a lead in the first half. They were up by something nine, ten points, and then finally, over time, the Warriors started to match their effort and they pulled it away. Uh, the, the 2014 Finals with the Spurs and Heat, similar deal. They kind of came out guns blazing to start in Game Five in San Antonio, but they just couldn't quite keep that energy going. And and eventually, like man, as the Suns tried to valiantly keep that a game at the end. It was just like every time they'd get a big stop, they'd give up an offensive rebound. And then and then even Brooke Lopez had a little run there at the end of that game. It just, like I said at the beginning, it felt kind of inevitable. And, uh, and, and I don't think it was anybody's fault necessarily. Like even Booker, who had a rough night, I think yeah. a lot of that had to do with the fact that Drew Holiday was on him the most. Uh, while Drew Holiday had spent most of the series on Chris Paul, he spent most of that particular game on Devin Booker and gave him a lot of problems. And that's kind of that's been kind of one of the subplots of the series is a lot of talk about how bad CP3 has been when in reality it has to do with matchups. He was catching most of the Drew Holiday minutes and Booker was getting PJ Tucker and was having more success on him. 
And Booker actually struggled a little bit against Drew Holiday, uh, with exception of some tough shot making earlier in the series. So, you know, it's not anybody's fault. I just think I think the Bucks were better. And that's the beauty of a seven-game series is over the course of a seven-game series, the better team is usually going to eventually find their advantages and find a way to pull it out. Yeah, and we both kind of picked Phoenix's in this one. And um, I think we both thought that Drew and Middleton wouldn't shoot well enough in most games. And to be fair, Drew shot like four for 20 in one game, shot like, what, five for 19 or whatever. And they both they won both of those games, which is, which is kind of funny. So even though Drew didn't um, shoot well, their defense wasn't enough. But this is why, to me, Game four was the one where Phoenix had to get. They were up 2-1. They were up like double digits in the fourth. And once they lost that, I think it kind of showed where the series was going to go. I think we both talked about it. The physicality would kind of wear them down um, as it got, as it went on. Uh, and Devin Booker hit tough, tough shots. Um, I, I don't think that was ever going to be um, sustainable as it went on. Um, he was hitting contested pull-up shots that really kept them in the game. Uh, back-to-back 40-point nights, uh, and obviously I think he was dead tired in Game 6. This is something I want to ask you, because they brought this up on the LFR pod, and I thought this was very interesting. Um, as the game kind of goes more towards three-point shooting, and uh, usually shooters aren't, you know, super physical dudes, so, like, the gap between the super physical monster players like Giannis, Anthony Davis, LeBron, and the rest of the league kind of widens due to uh, teams kind of going toward this Mori ball, right? I think Utah is a really great example of this. They've really kind of prioritized shooting and playmaking guys like Joe Ingles. Um, Royce O'Neal is probably their most physical guy, but still he's an undersized kind of wing. Um, do you see like the league continuing to kind of go to that? Cause like, I feel like the shooters like Brent Forbes the shooter got outplay, got, uh, deemed as unplayable in this series and then you have guys like cam johnson skinny dudes really good shooters um but against like Giannis, they, it's just it's just laughable like yeah they can spread the floor but like one little switch is they're done that's why i don't like like we could talk about later like the kemba rumors as well it just doesn't make sense to me short guy like do you see the league kind of continuing to go in this route or or would guys like Giannis, eight and even to an extent ad kind of fixed out a little bit where you have to sign more physical dudes because you know Darius Sarge was their backup dude he's not a physical guy but he can spread the floor and shoot um and that that's why I'm wondering the only guy they had was Aiton to really even have a chance of stopping this super physical monster dude who didn't even have a jump shot uh to say the least so so do you see the league kind of moving more towards that or you still think it's going to be like still Maury Ball spread the floor the way Utah kind of did at the end of the day, I'm always going to put my money on the big physical guys in these big in these big series. As long as they can, you know, uh, dribble and create for themselves the way that a Giannis yeah. or a LeBron or AD can. Um, I do think versatility is part of it, though. I mean, let's not forget that the Lakers shot 32 percent on wide open threes against the Suns, like with, yeah. with the defender more than six feet away, which allowed them to load up on LeBron in such a way and on Anthony Davis in such a way that their offense got stilted. But what was crazy is that in spite of that, they still managed to go up to one because of their physical dominance against that particular team. I do think matchups are everything. And this is something to keep in mind. Like Phoenix outside of Aiton is a very thin team. Uh, yeah. They're not a they're not a physically imposing team. Like Crowder is probably their biggest strongest player, not named Aiton. And then after that, it's a lot of skinny guys or short guys. And so in terms of matchups, they're a team that can get physically dominated. This is something that uh, uh, that gave us optimism when we were picking the Lakers as a seven seed over them. You know, at, at the end of the day, when you're building your team moving forward, I think you do have to 
have that versatility. And there is a fine line between going too much in on the size and strength to where your overall skill level is too low. Milwaukee, as a physically dominant team, had a guy like Chris Middleton who could create shots all over the floor, a point guard in Drew Holiday who, while he was super streaky, was very aggressive and was creating shots for his teammates. So like like you and I discussed, he it was kind of a coming out party for him as a passer in a yeah. way that he hadn't really had in, uh, in his career. Uh, but at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta have that balance. And you know, this is something we're gonna get to when we talk about Giannis. You know, uh, not not necessarily today, but when you and I talk about ranking players. But you know, one of the things with Shaq is you know Shaq was the most dominant player in the league when he was playing, but it it was kind of matchup specific. Like if if against. Uh, teams in the NBA finals against the Eastern Conference teams, he would be physically dominant. But then, you know, in some of those Western Conference uh, finals matchups or Western Conference semifinal matchups, they uh, teams were able to load up on Shaq and they really relied on Kobe uh, to carry them for stretches, even as young as he was uh, during those playoff runs. And so that's the one thing with Giannis that, that I thought was interesting in this series was it was a specific type of matchup where the Suns just couldn't mess with him. And it was really interesting to think what it might have looked like to see the Lakers in that matchup because he would not have been able to physically dominate them in a way that in the way he did Phoenix. He would have been forced to make a lot more shots in the margins. And 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 when we get to like a little bit to talk about Giannis, like I'm really excited to see a couple years from now what he's capable of as an audible or or as a counter to teams that can shut the rim off on him uh, in a way that in the way that Phoenix couldn't, but it was super it was super interesting and 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 like you and I talked about a few days ago, I still think the Lakers are on the right path in terms of their formula. I just think you yeah. never want to go too far one way. Versatil- versatility is key. The the Bucks didn't have to go to a second punch against Phoenix, but they might have to go to a second punch next year against the Lakers or against the healthy Nets. And 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 in that case you're going to have to see what they can do when things don't go right the first time around. And so that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And last thing on the Bucks, I feel like they found themselves as the playoffs goes on. I think most championship teams kind of do. Usually that second year after you win is like the dominant year. I think the Warriors, after they won, they won in a crazy, they won 73 games the next year. Um, I remember the Lakers when they got to the finals in 08 and 09, they won like 67, 65 games or something like that. Um, I think they found themselves, Bud kind of found himself as a coach as well. Um, they learned when they need to go small, when they need to go big. Um, Giannis had the five lineups. I think they figured out kind of how that's to work. It, it's funny that AD and, you know, Giannis comparisons come around all the time and, uh, people want to force AD into the five. I feel like Giannis also is like a five, to be honest, where he's, where he's the best, but he's not going to play five full time as well. He was playing um, alongside Portis and Lopez a lot in that series. Yeah. And then, and as a screener, I think he really found how to be effective as a screener as well. They found pet plays for Middleton. Like just the whole thing kind of came together. Phoenix obviously wasn't the best team to play with. Um, I think uh, Chris Paul is kind of getting they, they had too much success early, right? If they went out in the Western Conference Finals, I think no one would really give them a huge choke job on this. But because they, you know, got to the finals, it's kind of a difference. But, but just with the Bucks, like I think they're going to go on a tear next year. Um, Phoenix, obviously, we'll see if Chris Paul comes back. But I just, I just love that they've kind of found who they are, and I think they're going to win a lot of games doing that. So they're going to be tough next year. I think Giannis, with the confidence of a title, um, he no, he no longer has to like hide who he is as a player. 
Um, he, he can kind of be himself. And I think he really embraced that as well. Um, you could tell after he won, uh, he was really happy with it. So, so we'll see. But I think the Bucks are on the uh, – they, they know what they're doing, and, and they'll be good next year. I agree with you. I think I think I think Milwaukee is going to be a whole different animal next year. There, there's there's kind of like a monkey off your back when you win exactly. a title, and uh, there's a there's a confidence, like you said. There's a there's a slack that exists, like like extra margin for uh, like benefit of the doubt from the public and from your teammates and everything. Like you know, if you if you lose to Miami, uh, like like they did last year. And you go through a bad stretch during the regular season, which they did. And, and you and I talked about in our podcast this year about how we thought that the Bucks made the trade for Drew Holiday for the playoffs, knowing that it would hurt them in the regular season because it would hurt their depth. And that right. Drew Holiday is a specific matchup weapon in the playoffs. You and I were on top of that all year long. And that ended up being the right, the right gamble. And the, the reality is, though, is coming into this year – if they go through a stretch where they lose two, three games in a row, no one's going to say anything. It's like the Lakers this year. The Lakers had a catastrophe of a season, and half of the experts picked them to win the title still <laughs> going into the playoffs because of right. the fact that there's that benefit of the doubt that comes when you're a champion. And those people who were Lakers optimists were correct because they were up two games to one before Anthony Davis got hurt. Uh, but the point being, like, uh, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm super optimistic about Milwaukee next year as just like a whole different animal. I still think I would pick Brooklyn out of the East if they're healthy, but I feel a lot better about Milwaukee's chances just in general. Uh, but let, let's move on to Giannis because I think, I think this is inter- interesting because sometimes people overcomplicate what it takes to go to the next level as a winner, as a superstar. You know, we look at Giannis and we look at him lose to Miami and we say things like, oh, he needs to learn how to shoot jump shots or, oh, he needs to become a reliable three-point shooter or he needs to do this or he needs to do that. Well, the reality is, is that's not – sometimes it's as simple as just little things on the margins. Giannis won a title this year not by doing things differently but just by being more dominant in the same things that he's always done. Mm-hmm. And little things on the margins. Like, you win and lose a game on blocking that eight and lob. Understanding when you're in that drop coverage, like, I have to literally sell my soul to get this block. Like, if you, when you watch that play, there's a level of effort and urgency in Giannis that he just didn't have in previous seasons. You, it's, you and I talk about this all the time. The scar tissue that builds up from losing. You lose so many basketball games... And in those, each one of them, you remember how you lost. I lost this game on that turnover. I lost this game by not getting back in transition on this play. I lost this game by not fighting through this screen or not blocking this lob. And that's the way Giannis did it. Giannis did it by just doing, by leaning heavily into what he was good at and then doing so much more on the margins, uh, Mm -hmm. defensively, extra effort plays, things along those lines. And And it was super impressive. And, and he reached a level in terms of physical dominance that, and this has been said, this is not something that you and I are saying uh, uniquely, but in physical dominance, dominance that we haven't seen since Shaq to where you're watching the play on TV and you're sitting on your couch and you're like, they can't do anything with this guy. They can't keep him off the glass. They can't keep him from getting to the rim. They can't stop him in transition. They can't stop him here. They can't stop him there. Oh, and by the way, now he's making his free throws. And, uh, and it, was just, it was just a masterpiece. And if, if you're going to ask me, like, did Giannis level up? Yes, 
not in the sense that he's so much more skilled than he was in the last two years, but just as a winner. It's a basketball IQ thing. He just mm-hmm. understands what needs to be done to win games at a higher level now than he used to, and it won him some games this year that they might have lost in years past, and now he has the trophy as a result, and, and we, we all got to tip our cap to him. It's kind of crazy. Like He's only 26 years old, but like the way he talks after the game or like after, you know, with the tears, he talks like he's 36, you know what I mean? Like he's been through all these playoff wars already, and, uh, you know, he was judged – he was too successful too early, right? Like he was so good so early. People put all these um, lofty kind of expectations on him. You're supposed to win the title right away. You know, you're a back-to-back MVP. Can you win? Can you win with Giannis as your best player? People calling Middleton the Batman. You know, all this stuff that was just kind of even crazy in the moment. I feel like like you talked about the free throws hitting the 17 for 19 or whatever. I feel like when you respect the game, like the game kind of gives back to you. You know what I mean? Like he... He never like stopped trying to get to the line. He never stopped trying to attack the basket. You know, he never like even though he didn't shoot the free throws well. Like when you do that, I feel like the game kind of gives gives the game back to you. And uh, I think that's what happened. His free throws started to go down. Um, but from here, he can even get better, right? You saw him get more comfortable with that turnaround fadeaway. Um, you start he's getting even more comfortable with his jump shot. Like he's so young, it, it's weird because he's talked about it as like a like even he said he's like even if we don't win another one, it's okay. We did our job. Um, it's kind of crazy to hear him talk like that, but yeah, he really elevated his game and, um, people who have finals like that is rare. That's why I put the AD one last year in a rare form. I put this one in rare form. People who are, who put up numbers like this in the NBA finals, I feel like it should mean more. You should get more like credit for doing it when it matters. And, um, he did. So yeah, credit to him, but there's a lot more basketball for that guy to play. Like he's, he's young. And I think that's what's getting so lost in this. Like he's, he's talked about as like a complete, like people are comparing this ring to Dirk. Like Dirk won his ring like super late, you know. After like, but you know, Giannis winning it at twenty six is just in a insane, insane moment for him. Yeah, you know, I tweeted yesterday that I thought that people don't even really realize how good he's going to be. And, yeah. and I and I really mean that. And I'm and, and and I don't necessarily think it has to be attached to uh, you know high level three point shooting or anything along those lines. I mentioned basketball IQ in that last thing that I was talking about having to do with the little plays it takes to win games. Well, he's never going to be a LeBron uh, where he's making these like super surgical passes that just pick defenses apart. That's not going to be in his, in his, you know, archetype of who he is as a basketball player. But what he can get better at is just little reads, you know, uh, little, uh, uh, little interpretations of a defense that he doesn't make at this point where he's going to get to the point where his little hook shot and his little turnaround and his little one like fade away are so consistent that he's going to start attracting more attention off of good shooters. You know, like there that he's going to have that gravity kind of pull towards him and guys like Middleton, guys like Drew Holiday are going to be even more open than they are at this point. And he's going to get just a little bit better at interpreting that, a little bit better at hitting those guys, a little bit better at uh, reading help defense so he knows you know when to go to his spin move and when to not spin back into the help defender and things along those lines. Those little details on the margin in addition to slight improvement with his hook shot and his turnaround jump shot and his one-leg fadeaway, I know that doesn't seem like much, but that's the difference between him being what he is now and being twice as effective, in my opinion. Uh, and the same goes defensively and in, in interpreting plays and and just you know he's he's not 
terrific on the ball right now that's another thing that he can get better at over time just his instincts and and being better at anticipation and because Kevin Durant kind of has his number right now in isolation where he can just get him with some shifty stuff and get him off balance and get by him that's something he'll get better at as time goes on like he right now he's Shaq which is crazy and I think he's capable of being an even higher level version of Shaq which is scary to think about. And I, you and I talked about this like two or three podcasts ago, but you know, he is capable of having a seven, eight year run that rivals the greats. And all he has to do is rack up, you know, a few championships in that run. And he, then he's right up there with the Larry birds and the magic Johnsons. Now, obviously he's not there yet, but I, I don't think it's asinine to say that Giannis has the potential to be considered one of the greatest basketball players ever. Like, and, and I, I tweeted this a few weeks back, but like letting him get one this year was, was trouble. Cause I don't think he's the best guy yet. <laughs> like, no. like we let him get one when he's not the best guy, just wait till he's the best guy. It's just going to get easier and easier for him as time goes on. And, and uh, I, I think I, I, you mentioned this at the beginning of your last bit, but like such an incredibly emotionally mature guy, yeah. And and I I think like he learned a lot from the crown situation last year. Like I think <laughs> I think he jumped his own gun a little bit and it's funny cuz he just won the title and he's acting more humble now than he did during his MVP run uh uh last season. And I just I think I think he's got all the right intangibles and all the right motivation and and he's going to be, and he's going to be fun to root for. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what the media decides to turn into the thing that we hate about Giannis. Because you know how that goes. We're going to find there's going to be some subset of of basketball Twitter that just decides they hate the guy, and and it'll, yeah. it'll end up being complicated. His his accolades always were going to look insane next to a ring, in my opinion. Like he had the two MVPs already, two MVPs. Like go look at the guys who won two MVPs. That's a super short list. You know what I mean? Kobe, twenty years has one MVP to his name. Kevin Durant, I mean? like one that, MVP. Yeah. Kem Durant, one MVP, like that. Those MVPs are. I think LeBron has three. Like just like thinking about four. Oh, okay, four. Okay, but yeah, like those the guys who have multiple MVPs is a really um, short list. Um, and yeah, man, he can get better at the free throw line, like all those kind of things. Um, but yeah, he's a legend already. I wanted to ask you about this because he he talked about the super teams thing, and I think that was like my favorite kind of. Did you see that quote from him about the super teams? That was my favorite kind of bit from him, um, where he was like. I could have gone to another team and it would have been easy. Like and that, that's the part that got lost to me is where he said it would have been easy. I could have gone and play my role um, on a super team and, and, and won a championship. It would have been easy, but I did it the hard way. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of his whole brand is like this, like I've done it the tough way. It's kind of what Damian Lillard tries to sell as well in Portland, which is kind of breaking down. But like, what did you think of that kind of quote? Did, did you read in, in read in, into it at all? Or was that just him kind of speaking as a, like a, like globally around the league or is it like a shot at like James Harden or something or like what did you, did you see anything from that that quote I don't think it's necessarily a shot at anybody <laughs> um I do think that it's just a player controlling his narrative you know yeah. like and I'm okay with it especially from a winner you know LeBron came out after last season uh posted an Instagram post of him smoking a cigar saying up in smoke season and <laughs> talk trash the entire year. Uh, went in, went on a podcast tour, said it was the hardest title ever, all this stuff. And I don't even necessarily agree with everything that he said as even as a LeBron fan. 
uh, that said, you know, I don't have a problem with the guy who, who wins going out and telling the story. The thing that you have to keep in mind is that every time you start talking, like every, everything with basketball is about what have you done for me lately. I mean, Kawhi won a championship in 2019 and then did a whole New Balance campaign about how he was coming to Los Angeles to effectively take the crown. And I'm not making that up. It was it. it, it there was ads that had him in oh, it yeah. that he was intimately involved in that talked about how this is his city. And then he had a crown on his keychain and all of this stuff like the problem is, is when, when you talk and you start to control the narrative, you have to continue to back that up. So, you know, uh, I have absolutely no problem with Giannis talking. He just has to be aware of the fact that next season, if he falls short and gets outplayed by somebody, that there will be detractors that will weaponize what he said in this particular offseason. Now, as far as the logic behind it, I don't want to get too deep into this, but of course I disagree with that concept. Like, first of all, uh, the best player that LeBron managed to play with in seven seasons in Cleveland was Mo Williams. Okay. That was literally the best player. And he was a player that had success in the regular season as a secondary scorer, but had two really bad postseasons by his standards compared to what he did in the regular season. That was the best that Cleveland could muster to put alongside him. Milwaukee, you know, are Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday your bona fide su- uh, superstars? No, they're not. But that team has a lot of talent. Drew Holiday is capable of taking a top 10 NBA player in Chris Paul and making him significantly less impactful than he normally is. Chris Middleton in this playoff run was right around 51% effective field goal percentage and right around 24 points per game. That's right up there with the Kyrie Irving type of postseason that he was having alongside us uh, alongside LeBron and similar in a lot of ways because he made a lot of big shots the way that uh, the way that Kyrie did and our this series swung on game four and five which both were crunch time games which both involved Chris Middleton running the majority of the offense at the end of the game so the my point is is like let him talk his let him talk his shit he deserves to I disagree with his assessment that he had the easy way or that he didn't take the easy way that he took the hard way because like he had a lot of talent on his team. And quite frankly, if there wasn't Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday on this roster, he's probably not in Milwaukee right now. He's probably somewhere else. So, but at the end of the day, winner gets to tell the story. I'm not going to sit there and, and, and talk a bunch of trash, let him have his moment. But I, yeah, if you're asking me if I think he's being disingenuous, yeah. But I also think LeBron was being disingenuous when he said that that was the most challenging title ever. So it's just kind of like narrative controlling superstar stuff, you know, and, and this is the last thing I'll say, like everyone talks about how humble Giannis is. Um, I certainly think he's a lot better in the media at portraying himself as someone who's very down to earth. Uh, but none of these guys are all that humble. Okay. Like you're, it's just about impossible to be one of the best basketball players in the world and not be extremely confident in what you can do. And Steph is a great example of this. Like Steph is magnificent in the media at just being the nicest, greatest guy but that dude is a psychopath. Like he literally wants to murder you on the court and genuinely thinks he's better than everybody as he should. Uh, And I'm okay with them being wired that way. But I think one of the things that I do appreciate about LeBron is he's 
very arrogant and pompous and showy and dramatic in the media, but that's who he genuinely is. And he's kind of just leaning into that. And, and, and it's at least with LeBron, it's like, you never have to question whether or not he thinks he's very confident or very showy. Cause that's just, that's his personality. And that's, that's, and he just kind of leans into that. He's the guy that'll make a shot and go to the crowd and wave his hand like this, asking for a round of applause. <laughs> like that, that's, that's the way LeBron is. And, and he gets it and he leans into it. Some guys, like to be very humble in the media, but then put crowns on their head when they make a big three in a regular season game. So every, uh, all I'm saying is don't, don't always buy into the persona, but I, th- I, I say that as someone who likes Giannis for the record. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think his humbleness is fake. I just think like, he looks like a guy who's different on the court. I think Chris Paul's into this too, right? Chris Paul is probably an asshole on the court. Right. And, and that's what everyone says, does everything to win all, all that kind of stuff off the court gentleman you know vice pre- uh, president of, of uh, players association all all that stuff is just coincide um these dudes have to change on the court you're it's a competition it's physical um Giannis you could tell you don't get to where Giannis is without having some sort of inner kind of motivation inner kind of I'm gonna kick your ass every single night um it, it was cool my last thing on Giannis I remember watching the document there was this documentary on him and um it was a moment where like he figured out he could average 20 and 10 a night like it was the moment he like one night he had 20 and then like the next night he had 20 again and he went to his uh, agent and his friend he's like i could do this every night and the agent's like really he's like yeah and he went and averaged like 25 and 10 and i think that's really awesome that he was just like oh i could do this every night and no one can stop me and so he did and he continued to do it i think they were having like negotiations with this shoe deal and it was a really low number or something he's like oh no 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 this is gonna be way higher i can do this i can average 20 and 10 easily so i think that's really cool see a guy who's consistent doesn't stop motors incredible those are the guys that should win um it's good for the league too small market uh as i don't know Mar- milwaukee had sixty five thousand people outside watching i don't know that was small so market. cool by the way that was so cool. yeah I don't know how small their market actually is, but, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's just awesome for a guy who stayed, you know, on the Supermax um, and, and gets the ring. So we'll see where Milwaukee goes here, but it's, it's a really awesome story for him. Yeah, we're going to dive more into, you know, where all of the chips fall after this season. Yeah. Probably, I think, I think we'll probably take about a week off after this and we'll come, we'll come back next week and, and do like some player ranking stuff and, and mm. talk about, you know, how Giannis stacks up against other guys. Just today's not the day for that. Uh, today's the day to give props uh, and, and make sure that Giannis, that most of the conversation centering around him is positive. Um, uh, so for today, we only have about 10 more minutes. We're going to talk about some of those Laker topics that, that I had brought up. So for starters, are you with me that it is absolutely insane to be going to great lengths to bring in Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook? Well, so for Chris Paul, I mean, if he was like, it's never going to happen. He's the president of the Players Association. He can't take a discount. But if he came for like our taxpayer MLE, which is like six million dollars, <laughs> which yeah, you have to take the ha- the half of it or whatever, exactly. so that you don't trigger the hard cap too. Exactly. So if he came for like six million, Chris Paul with open arms, you know what I mean? Russell Westbrook, absolutely not. Russell Westbrook's on a supermax contract which means he's getting paid $40 million or something a year. Um, yeah, that is absolutely insane. Chris Paul also 36, you know, so just not feasible moves for this team. Also don't fit like the culture of the, the team, which which is like a hard-nosed defensive. I just think like, I don't know about you, just from a basketball fit, like LeBron's going to be the ball handler when it matters. I don't want to use my resources to get a, 35 40 million dollar guy who needs the ball in his hands you know what i mean like a secondary creator makes sense 
Dennis Schroeder should have fit that kind of build. But I don't want another super primary guy when I'd rather use I'd rather fill out the roster in different ways than than do that if you have LeBron James on your team who's still at the not top of his game, but still at a pretty peak level of creation, playmaking and all that. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul are overqualified for what the Lakers need from that position. You know, mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things about the Dennis Schroeder experience is that even though he was aggressive, there was a clear deference to LeBron. And mm-hmm. when, when, when the important moments of the games came, Dennis just went to LeBron. I, I think Russ and Chris Paul in particular, their egos would get in the way in the sense that that might kind of, uh, that balance might go the wrong way. Uh, to where, like you said, the vast majority of the primary decision making needs to be made by LeBron because he is one of the best in the world at that, if not the best. And so I, I just don't necessarily love that particular fit. Um, and we're going to talk about Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan in a minute. And those two guys make a lot more sense because DeMar DeRozan is not a decision maker. He's actually an underrated passer, but he fulfills a need in terms of shot making, in terms of a guy who can come in when LeBron's off the floor or when LeBron's off the ball and create shots for himself. And then when the defense commits to him, he can make simple reads, but he's not a pound the air out of the basketball guy who's going to disrupt LeBron and Anthony Davis's rhythm. Same goes for Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is, I is like, I've been preaching this since last year's trade deadline. He's the ideal fit in terms of what the Lakers need from that position. And, and then when, once you factor in all the salary stuff, like you said, Chris Paul is a guy who's the head of the or VP of the Players Association. And then everything that comes with the Russell Westbrook experience, I just, I, and his salary at, at 40 plus million a year, I just don't. The the, type, the the lengths they would have to go, the depth they would have to give up, the crazy things they would have to pull to get those guys on board to then not be the ideal fit doesn't make any sense to me. And so that that did I, I haven't done too much digging into this Lowry DeRozan stuff, but just from a basketball perspective, it makes so much more sense to me. Yeah, and with DeRozan, like he's a great player, great creator. You know, he's gotten really good as a passer as well. But again, you you don't get DeRozan for like whatever that salary I just mentioned, the five and a half million. Um, and also, like if you were going to trade, you have to trade a bunch. You have to trade Schroeder, probably KCP, THT. You know, we have differing feelings about THT, but like it's just it's going to be a ton. I, and I'd also like them to get younger, kind of in that area as well. I think Schroeder was the right idea, twenty year old guard. You know, a guy with some youth, some rhythm um, into him. Um, I, I just think it's tough trading for thirty six year old guards. Like that's you really like I, I have. I think Ricky tweeted this, but like, you know, you have some PTSD with Steve Nash in 2012, you know, Steve Nash came, I think he was 39 at the time. I don't remember 38, 39, but yeah, but he was, but he had a great season that previous season, you know, and they traded two first round picks for him. Um, And that just didn't work out. He got injured the first play of the game. I'm not saying those two guards would get injured, but you know, when you get older players, you have more of a chance of that. We just went through a huge injury riddled season. Um, and, and I'd like some kind of youth and infused players there if they could get some, get a young, I don't know who they can go after, but I just think trading for 36 year old guards is, is not the move for this team right now. Do you think this is all smoke and mirrors as a negotiation ploy with Dennis? Basically like we're looking for a new playmaker. We're looking for this. We're looking for this. Basically, basically sending a signal to Dennis and his agent that we're going to walk away from the table. If you don't take a discount, do you think that's what this is? Yeah, so I, feel, I don't actually think the Lakers are going to get Chris Paul or Russ, Russ right? I mean, that's that no. has to be smoke and mirrors. 
Yeah, like for me, like with all free agency rumors, there's like three sides to every rumor, right? There's one side, one side, and the truth. Like there's like three sides to every one of this. I don't know what's what's true or not. Did you see the Dennis Schroeder and Kuzma were fighting all year kind of rumor as well? Did you see no. that? What, no, no. Okay. Where, where did you see that? Uh, I think Jordan Schultz he tweeted that like uh, Dennis and uh, Kuzma were were having <laughs> were having arguments that really increased as the playoffs went on, um, as the losses went on. Again, all this stuff, like, I don't know what to take from any of this stuff. A shooter, obviously, I mean, there's no, it's no secret. He wants to get paid. He wants the hundred million dollars or whatever. The Lakers are going to offer whatever they want. Um, and maybe there's a sign and trade to work into that. But, uh, yeah, like maybe I'm sure his agent has a, wants him to get the most money and maybe this is a way to do it. But I really don't know. I don't know what to take from any of this. Uh, the rumors always are strange to me. I, I don't know where one leads. Always these new people who, you know, didn't watch a single Laker game this year somehow have inside sources on what's what's going on. So it's it's a strange season for sure. I do, you know, uh, I want to shout out the podcast because I know some of the the aggregators failed to, but uh, the Laker side chats with Alan Romich, he mm-hmm. had uh, who's the writer that he had on? Do you Eric remember? Pincus, yeah, Eric Pincus. Eric Pincus, yeah, and and he basically brought up an interesting point. Uh, you know, winning cures everything. Winning is the is the is the attitude that that makes people more willing to deal with being unhappy in their specific role or or you know maybe a little bit of locker room chemistry stuff, whatever it is. And he's uh, he basically said like you know last year they were winning, everyone was willing to fall into place. This year was rocky and they lost, and everyone's a little bit less. they're less patient. They're a little more fed up. They're a little bit more irritable things along those lines. Well, I'm not surprised at all that that guys could be yelling at each other in practice and and things along those lines. Easily the most fascinating part of it. I mean, the Kuzma thing makes sense. I mean, if you're Kyle Kuzma, it's like you've won a title, you know, all your peers are out as the best player on their team, getting tons of shots. You're stuck behind LeBron, Anthony Davis, and now you're stuck behind Dennis Schroeder too. He's getting more shots than you. It's it's this whole thing, right? And 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 you feel like maybe it's time for you to spread your wings and fly. I get that. This stuff with Dennis and all these other guys that came in that didn't even win the title, that's where that's where it gets wild, is just the uh uh the the unwillingness to buy in when you don't even have the trophy or the ring yet. Uh, that's been really right. unusual for me. But I'm with you. Like I the the DeRozan CJ McCollum type of archetype makes the most sense to me because genuinely what the Lakers need in my opinion is a guy that can take a ball screen and force the defender to go over the top that that's key it's it it, it it's so important for a lot of different reasons because like we saw with Dennis all season long they went under every single screen with him because he didn't make yep. anybody pay shooting over the top and half the time he would get into his little like kind of sidestep in and out dribble pull up a uh, little 15 footer as he's fading out of bounds getting the defender to chase the guard over the screen is the key to unlocking the roll man this is something that we saw at length with Trey Young and with Chris Paul and with Devin Booker against the against a really really good Bucks defense and especially when your roll man is Anthony Davis or a LeBron or somebody along those lines it, it brings even even more to the table. I don't even think that player needs to be a super high-end passer. Just having somebody that can take a ball screen and force you to switch or force you to go over the top because 
a guy like CJ or a guy like DeMar DeRozan, if you go under the screen, is going to pull up and knock the shot down every single time. That kind of thing, I think, makes way more sense in their offense than looking for a guy who's going to dribble the air out of the basketball you know, and take LeBron and AD out of his rhythm, out of their rhythms, the way that Rondo did. I felt like sometimes um, that's kind of yeah. where I, that's kind of where I'm at, and so that's why I didn't. I I was kind of scoffing at those particular rumors. Yeah, CJ would be CJ would be a great get, kind of a guy who can shot create, um, create off the dribble. Also, he can hit spot up threes as well, right? Like he's a good shooter. Um, that would be kind of the get for me. But again, like he makes also like what twenty five million dollars a year too. So you'd be you'd pretty much have to give up Kuzma, KCP, your guard depth. I think it'd be worth it for CJ. I think it'd be I worth it for CJ. I just don't know what if Portland would do that unless Dame kind of if, unless the Dame situation really flames out. That's where you kind of have to go. Uh, bargain hunting in that situation because um, they're blowing up at that point they're yeah. they're blowing up yeah that's the only way i would see it see it but yeah i don't see any of these westbrook chris paul even kyle lowry to an extent like i i don't know why like toronto would help do that unless he just signs here as a free agent for the minimum amount of money but or a sign and trade with dennis maybe that that could be the the other option there those are more realistic to me than than a than a chris paul russell westbrook so yeah these rumors are going to be flying though you're going to see almost every star player kind of be linked here eventually you're going to see bradley beal eventually you're going to see all the all the big time players the lakers get thrown get their names thrown in there so it's kind of hard to decipher what's real what's not in these situations um a lot of people again like i said didn't follow the team at all somehow have inside inside sources into the brain trust of this so uh it, it, it's interesting I, I don't think a westbrook move or chris paul kind of fits what the team has done since magic has stepped down. You know what I mean? They've been really conservative, really uh, careful with who they sign um, and not doing big long-term dumb deals. Um, so, so we'll see though, but that, that's kind of where I'm at with those. Yeah, I agree. And, and this is literally the last thing I'm going to say uh, uh, to all of these people out there. This was the same phenomenon that happened before the Anthony Davis trade. Okay. Oh, yeah. are, are, is the Laker fan base a little overambitious with who they think they can get? Yeah, I, I would agree with you that they're a little overambitious. Like you're not you're not going to go win the war for Bradley Beal or for Dame Lillard. I, that they're just they're physically incapable of it. Uh, that said, they're 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 in play for every other trade option that's that's out there this summer. And the reason why is quit saying the Lakers don't have assets. They absolutely do. Talon Horton Tucker is a legitimate asset that GMs around the league value. Kyle Kuzma is is uh, about it's from what I can gather from what I've heard from uh, from the people that I trust on Twitter. It's like two thirds of the league thinks he's overrated, but there's like a third of the league that thinks if he gets into the right situation, he can play. And the other thing with Kyle Kuzma is his number, his contract for what he brings to the table as a good defensive player, a good rebounder and a guy who can get hot and score off the bench at 12 million a year or whatever it is that he's making or 13 million a year, that's actually a really good value. And and then Very the Lakers good. all there, the, the idea that the Lakers don't have any draft picks, that's a fallacy uh, I, the, the, the Lakers have the ability to get into the trade market for everybody except for Bradley Beal or Dame Lillard. Did you have anything else you wanted to add today before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think, uh, that's pretty much it. Congrats to the bucks. Uh, and, uh, this, this, this is going to move pretty quickly. We have the draft, what, in like six days or something. Is that, is it really that, is that quick tr- or is it, I don't know. I feel like this is about to run really quickly. Um, I'm not sure, but I feel like the draft's coming up pretty soon. Summer leagues in like less than a month. Um, so yeah, this is going to move pretty quick, man. We'll mm-hmm. be here to cover it. 
Yeah. So Raj and I are going to take about a week off, uh, and then we're going to come back and do like just our, the, uh, the, uh, our typical off season stuff. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, where we rank players, where we rank teams going into next year. Uh, and then we'll talk off season stuff for the Lakers. We'll do a big off season extravaganza type of deal. And then, uh, depending on how the time goes, we might do some other fun stuff. We were thinking about maybe going back and, and breaking down the way Raj and I like to break down games. We were thinking about breaking down some of the old Lakers championship series, uh, from the last couple decades, but thank you guys so much for your support through this season. We sincerely appreciate it. It's been really crazy to, uh, to see even just the way our little, our little deal has been growing. And I'm so excited to see where it goes next year. And, uh, Roger, really, I really enjoy working with you, man. And I'm really excited to see where this can go. And, and, uh, uh, season one in the books from start to finish, you and I went the entire way for the first time. It was fun. Yeah, I did. Yeah, we did right back at you and excited, man. It should be a fun summer as well. So we got a lot to, lot to break down here. We'll, we'll continue to do it. All right, everybody have a good weekend and we will see you next week.